Welcome everyone to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. I am your host, Carter Laren, with my co-host, Carrie. Say hi, Carrie. Hi, guys. Deprogrammed yep. on Unsafe Space. Oh, I um, am your that. host. We should have checked that first. There we go. Um, that was your cue. You could have said, hi, Carrie. That's the famous old <laughs> dad joke. So you can follow us on Unsafe Show on Twitter, and you can go to patreon.com slash unsafe space to support us. Also, unsafeshow.com. And Carrie, there's Facebook pages now, right? There are Facebook pages. There's a deprogrammed on Facebook, and there's also Unsafe Show. Is that is it Unsafe Show on Facebook? Uh, I want to say yes. If you search Unsafe Space, you'll find it. But I don't yeah. know what the actual like account name thing is on Facebook. But it's yes, something like that. So we are going to be joined today by Gracie West, who is I think running slightly late. But uh, but that's okay. She'll join us. And in the meantime, there's actually quite a lot to talk about. Carrie, um, well, actually, I Carter, this knapsack article that you sent me because I really liked it. Yeah, let's. Um, but just just quickly, um, Gracie just messaged me and said she's still having trouble getting in. So oh. maybe well, let's try and send her that invite again. Um, right, yeah, let me. I'll do that while you tell people about the knapsack article. I will be focusing on technical oh, issues. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if people know about where the term uh, white privilege was coined, but it's a pretty famous article that's called Unpacking the, the Unpacking the Invisible White Privilege Knapsack. I think that's it. Or Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. And it's by a woman named Peggy McIntosh. And there's this great article. Carter and I were talking about um, why it is that I think some people in the SJW movement the people who are most focused on these concepts of oppression and marginalization and privilege and being the oppressor, that a lot of these people happen to be the very most elite of the elite. <laughs> and that they're, I don't know, like seem to be arguing on behalf of groups that it's like, you haven't been elected to speak for those people. And, and, you know, you see kids at Yale, for example, yelling about their oppression. And I'm like, you're in the top 1% of people on this planet. What are you talking about? You're oppressed. So anyway, there's this great article that came out about um, just about Peggy McIntosh in general and about her history and how she came from this very upper crust elite background. And, uh, and so I, I don't know, I think there's something to the idea there that um, I think it was you Carter who were saying that maybe people who feel an unearned privilege in their lives are grasping for things to attribute it to. Maybe it's some kind of guilt. Um, well, that's been my experience. I mean, that's, I've seen, um, it seems to be like trust fund babies that are most excited about social injustice um, and and seem to think that everyone who's similar to them in in looks has the same experience and and they feel maybe guilty. I also see it in careers where there's a little bit more randomness in terms of um, success. And I would uh, I would put Hollywood in that category, right? There's a lot of young, beautiful people who don't get to be famous actresses, and some of it is skill, obviously. But there's a lot of good uh, talent, and and in there's a large element of of random randomness in in that. Certainly more than in you know the business world, although there's some element there as well. And it, I think you 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 see I tend to notice that those kind of the people who are kind of randomly successful like that tend to 
uh, really view their success as like this stroke of luck, which I guess for them it, it is. Whereas, you know, for a lot of people who are, are born to more meager means and and work work their ass off in their life and work their way up and maybe reach the middle class, it's hard to talk to them about uh, white privilege, right? And with a, with a straight face. I mean, they do, but it's unfair. So, yeah. Uh, well, and the there's so this great article. If anyone wants to read it, the article about Peggy McIntosh, it's on Colette. And um, it was written by, let's see, who was it written by? A guy named William Ray, but it's called Unpacking Peggy McIntosh's Knapsack, <laughs> which is a great, uh, anyway, it's great. But he talks about, you know, she's making a six-figure salary, but she's not giving it up to someone who's less privileged, you know. That made me laugh because I just saw a, a part of an interview with um, Jordan Peterson and this feminist uh, on GQ. You can watch the whole thing on YouTube. Just, I guess, look up GQ and Jordan Peterson. But at one part in the interview, it, it, it reminded me of the same conversation because this woman was arguing that we live in a patriarchy and that the hierarchy, you know, hierarchies are based on oppression and power. And um, and then at, at one point he kind of points out, you know, you and I are living like the 1%. Like we are living through all of human history better than most humans have ever lived. And, you know, and, and she said, well, certainly something like, certainly there are ways that I'm privileged and I've, I've benefited from unearned privilege, you know, based on certain things. And he's like, oh, so you've benefited from this tyrannical patriarchy and that's okay. And she's like, but I, well, and he's like, why are you so, you could quit, you could quit your job. You could give your job to someone less privileged if that's what you truly believe that it's unearned. Yeah. Uh, and I think it just kind of points to the hypocrisy that a lot of these people, they, they, they have some kind of guilt perhaps at, at their privileged lifestyle, but then they try and attribute it to an entire group of people that they may not have much in common with at all other than sex or skin color. Yeah. So. You mean gender. I don't want to. Gender. <laughs> I mean sex. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I think it is true that people are privileged. We're all born into different circumstances. And like you said, everyone that's born in the U.S., even if you're the most poor, you're privileged just to be mm -hmm. born in the U.S. Um, but, you know, you don't have to feel guilty about being privileged. Being privileged, you, you feel guilty about things you did, right? You, mm -hmm. you didn't choose to be born to rich parents if you were born to rich parents or poor parents or uh you know parents from one country or another that's not your fault i i think it's really all related to this collectivism this this idea that uh people aren't individuals but they're groups and so um the member you know the guilt about white privilege is is supposed to be because you're a member of a group and the group is collectively guilty of some sin mm -hmm. um although even that i would argue is not really fair or accurate because if you look historically uh you know white europeans didn't do a lot more horrible things than any other group it's just uh they were most recently in history the conquerors big deal uh, right so um well look while we're waiting for Gra uh, gracie i i gave gracie a, f a few links she's having trouble getting in i'm not sure why um but we can kind of even start uh hold on actually let me read what she's saying here
Okay. Anyway, uh, she, she wants to talk about cults. Um, so Gracie, I'll give people some background on Gracie while you try to help her. Yeah. Um, why why so don't I'm, you do that? I've got a little bio of her, but if you know her pretty well, I think you met her on the Gavin uh, McGinnis show. Where'd you meet her? Yeah. So a group of uh, people who had walked away from the left were we were invited to uh, go on the Gavin McGinnis show on CRTV just to talk about the walk away movement. And so it was Brandon Strack who, who started, who founded the hashtag walk away. Um, there was uh, my friend, Mikey Harlow, of who's been on our show from Cigarettes and Valentines, uh, Brandon Tatum, who's got an amazing YouTube channel, um, Zach Hing, uh, Alicia Lure, I think I might be mispronouncing her name, and Gracie West. And so Gracie and I connected immediately. I had not watched her videos until the invitation to be on the show, and then we started watching each other's stuff. And um, she's just really got a similar background to me. We were both heavily in what I would call the third wave feminism you know, that kind of movement, that part of SJWism. Um, we both kind of speak that same lingo, like the feminist lingo. We know the SJW lexicon pretty well. And um, and Gracie, and I might, you, you can correct me if, if I'm getting this wrong because you have the bio, but she's a religious studies major. And she, so she's, yeah, she has a BA in women's studies and a master's in the sociology of religion sociology of religion. So she's just coming from a great background, a great, a great context to be able to um, explain the reasons why this uh, SJW ideology is a lot like a cult. And so that's something, you know, you and I have talked about, and I see a lot of people who are leaving the belief system who, who refer to it that way or, or who refer to it as a religion. And it was just really exciting to talk to her and to, to you know, with someone who really gets it from, from having been in it as well. And who's going has gone through a lot of the same stuff in terms of losing friends and and deciding that's okay. You know, it's okay to lose friends if if um, if they're going to unfriend you because you're in you know looking for the truth and you, you kind of find out who your friends really were. Yeah, I appreciate you holding down the fort. She's still looking around. So okay. um, I, I actually I to prepare for this, I actually pulled up from the Cult Education Institute. I think we can we can kind of jump in while we're waiting for Gracie. Okay. Um, this, these are the 10 warning signs of a potentially unsafe group or leader. Now, in this case, obviously, it's a group because, uh, to my knowledge, there's not a an SJW Jesus, is there? Um, there's no leader. So, okay. So, um, the, ten, the 10 warning signs here. Number one is absolute authoritarianism without meaningful accountability. Um, I would argue that I see that, at least the non-accountability, the non I see that when I see... Uh, leaders or large uh, important figures in the movement not getting called out on behavior that they call others out on. Yes. Um, so do you do you think they the SJWs meet the absolute authoritarianism without meaningful accountability criteria? Absolutely. I mean, that's why we, we've all said this is an authoritarian movement. They want to control the way the words that we're allowed to use. They want to control the thoughts we're allowed to have. They want to control who we can listen to, what we can read what we can think about, um, you know, this is why you see them shutting down speakers that they don't like. It's like, look, I may not like a speaker that's coming to a particular, my city or to a call, but I'm, it's okay if you want to go listen to them. They have this idea of if I don't like it, nobody gets to listen to it. And so, and they would be happy to codify that in law. They are trying to codify it in law. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've tried it in, in Canada, 
And uh, we have this little thing called the First Amendment in the U.S. that which makes it a little bit more difficult than to do, but they've done it in the U.K. Um, there's that uh, that famous meme of the, the the guy walking with his girlfriend, turning around, looking at another girl as she's walking <laughs> by. Uh, I, I don't know if this is true, but I, I think it is. I, I, I read that it was not allowed. It's considered, uh, I don't know, it's banned. It's banned in the U.K. I don't know how you ban a meme, but... Uh, <laughs> authoritarians well, will, will find a way. Oh, they will find a way. Well, they were banning the NPC meme on Twitter and that's oh, here that's in the right. States as well. Anything, I forgot about that. Yeah. They were banning anything that had an NPC image or, or talked about NPCs at all, which NPC that's in as in non-programmable character. It's a video game reference, but NPC sort of became another way of saying SJW social justice warrior, because the idea behind the meme was that, when a person is possessed by an ideology, they're not thinking for themselves. They're just spitting out the, the code that they've been programmed with. And so it was a very effective meme. And then yeah, what did Twitter do? Let's ban it. non-player character, actually, but yes. Oh, uh, non-player. Okay, non-player character. Because right when you have a multiplayer game, there's the other players who are real, and then there's the NPCs who are like just running some algorithm that says the yeah. same thing over and over again or whatever it is, right? What did so. I say? I think you said non-programmed, but it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so, uh, but it is actually programmed. So that's number one. So I, I, I would agree. I think uh, social justice culture absolutely meets, uh, number one, the absolute authoritarianism without meaningful accountability. So check check for that. By the way, um, while we're on that subject, did you see there was uh, someone posted a, a response to Ben Shapiro speaking at some college. Uh, I wish I had it in front of me, but it was... Um, I think they posted it this morning. He spoke the other day at some college and uh, the language they used around um, it, this, it was a message to students saying that you might be traumatized from this and, and you need safe space because he's coming to campus and speaking. And the language, it almost made it sound like there was a hurricane or, or tornado coming yeah. and like you needed some kind of shelter. And it, like, it was, it, it was almost as if, or, or like a mass shooting had just happened or something. And it was like, you know, if you need to not be alone, you can reach out here and we've set this up. And it was this really, uh, I, I was, I mean, even I was surprised by the language of just how, you know, this slight Jewish guy with some choice words is apparently, you know, qu quite, uh, quite the, um, the menace on college campuses to the, the sensibilities of college students. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number well, so, two is no tolerance for questions or critical inquiry. What do you think about that one, Carrie? I mean, absolutely. That's just, you. they do not tolerate questions. They do not tolerate inquiry. Um, they do not want to engage in conversation or dialogue or dialectic. If you uh, come at them, even, even in good faith, if you are coming to them and asking them questions, they have a number of, of, like phrases, I, I call it the SJW lexicon, but they have a number of phrases and words that they will spit out at you. And they're just waiting to hear something that triggers them to be able to say, oh, this is what I should throw out at you now. They're not actually thinking, they're not actually listening to you or trying to formulate their own thoughts. They're just waiting to be able to say one of these things. So for example, I mean, just a quick run through. Uh, if you're saying something and you're a man and I'm a woman, I can just say, you know, check your male privilege. 
you're wrong I'm because you're a man. I mean, that, I don't even have to engage with your argument. I can, so, so privilege is one. They'll tell you to check your privilege. They won't engage with your argument at all. They'll say you hold your opinion because you're privileged. One of my other favorite ones they do to shut down inquiry and, and discussion is they'll say your opinion is rooted in my oppression. That is so hyperbolic. That's ridiculous. <laughs> your opinion so is. Can we break that down? What does that mean? Because it's to me, it's some words, and there's a yeah. there's a metaphor. But what does that mean? It means that the power imbalance is so huge because they view again they view the whole world at, through a lens of power, and power is what you want is what they want. And they view every interaction as having to do with power. And that's why they put everyone in these groups according to group power, what they say is group power, institutional power. So uh, you as a man, you supposedly have more power than me. We're not looked at as individuals. They don't look at us to say, actually, who, you know, Carrie has more power because X, Y, Z. It's just, I am a woman, you are a man. Therefore, you have more power than me. Um, right. So they, so I would be able to say to you, I don't have to talk with you because your opinion is rooted in my oppression, meaning the power imbalance is so huge that even for me to engage with you is not fair for me. <laughs> like, it's not fair for me as a woman. I mean, isn't that really like just arguing for segregation, though? Like, uh, yeah. I mean, if that's the case, then shouldn't everyone have their own ethno state and even gender state? Well, none of their opinions are logically consistent. There's no, there's no intellectual consistency. So they contradict themselves that way all the time. They actually do argue for segregation. I don't know if you've seen, but a lot of colleges are now doing segregated graduation ceremonies. Seriously? Yes, because and it's being put, it's being pushed as a positive thing, and and it it's almost a it's like we've talked about before. It's so strange to me that the very things that the ideology claims to be fighting against, they're actually pushing, like they are pushing uh, sexism, they are pushing racism, but it's all in the name of ending those things. That's why it's such a tricky ideology. And you get well-meaning people who believe it, who, be who believe they're in it for the right reasons. And that's, I think, one of the saddest, like most evil things about it is that you have people out there who've been programmed in this way. Um, you know, take a look at that group I mentioned on, on Facebook, the uh, uh, white nonsense roundup people. I mean, those people are like, essentially, I view them it's sad, but they're possessed. They're like zombies. And they run around spitting out the same mantra and they wait for you to say something that triggers one of their phrases. And, but they're pushing racism and they, and they believe they're, they're doing something to end it. And that makes me really sad because a lot of them, I do believe have very good intentions. Um, but so, but yeah, so things they use to shut down debate, your opinion is rooted in my oppression. Um, they do name calling, of course. That's one of their, the quickest things they go to. They, they uh, resort to ad hominem attacks really quickly. So they'll call you a troll. They'll call you a sea lion. A sea lion is someone who is uh, faking concern or faking a desire to engage in discussion. Um, they'll call you alt-right. They'll call you any manner of like far-right, alt-right, Nazi, you know, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Uh, they'll call you racist. They'll call you a sexist. Um, these things are meant to scare you and shame you and get you to shut down and just to quit trying to talk to them. It's also meant to prove that they're not those things. So especially when you get like, uh, if you get a man calling another man a sexist or calling another man out on his misogyny, it's that man is trying to elevate himself as one of the good men. 
you know. Those and are I, the creepy men that can't get laid though, and they're just looking to, to get the the feminist <laughs> women to swoon all over. There's a high incident of male so-called male feminists who have been um caught up in in her sexual harassment scandals and rape scandals. So it, there actually is a very shockingly high number of, you know, they'll do protest too much or whatever that phrase is of yes. these guys who you are the most thou protest too much. Thou doth, yes, that one. Um yes. So they, they, uh, those guys, yeah, there's something kind of creepy about it. So here's one thing that'll happen online. You'll see there's, there's a SJW friend of mine who would regularly post, Hey guys, I'm in this discussion on this other page or wherever. And, you know, these bro guys are in there talking, you know, arguing with me. And she would, she would ask male allies. I need some male allies to go in there and tell them why they're wrong. I don't have the emotional energy. And as an oppressed person, as a woman, I shouldn't have to. And so they sick people on each other. Like they, women will send men in male feminists in to argue with other men because the woman, ah, it's, it's that fainting couch feminism. The woman doesn't have the emotional energy to do so. And that, I mean, that's Uh, what the women are so empowered that they need men to go argue for them. Yeah. And that's what the white nonsense roundup group is too. It's the same thing. It's like, um, white people come and tell other white people why they're racist. And, and because I don't have the emotional energy, it's this very, but it's, it's a way for those allies to, um, it's called virtue signaling. It's a way for them to show that they're, uh, they're, you know, some of the good guys, like they're, they, they prove to others, like, look at me, I am a good out al- being a good ally. I find it's no different than the Bible verses about um, the Pharisees who stand and, and pray out loud on street corners so that you can see them praying. It's like, <laughs> Like it's that's that's the original virtue signaling the Pharisees on the street corners. I think you're right. I think. Um. By the way, Jason M says, uh, as as JP uh, JBP, who means Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. as as Jordan says, the SJWs, there is no you. You're just a mouthpiece or avatar seeking power from your group. Um. Yeah, and Jordan is really, you know, th- this isn't a new idea, right? It's it's collectivism, and really, it's just tribalism. And humans are 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 tribal. And I actually sometimes wonder. You know, we needed to be tribal in history to survive. And, I, you know, I think this idea of independent thought is actually kind of a new thing uh, for humans. And so being able to stand against the group and think for yourself, that's not, I don't think we were evolutionaries. I don't think most of us were evolutionarily prepared for that. Like, I don't think evolution selected for that, at least not in the in the main. There's probably some evolutionary advantage to have some outliers that, that uh, that challenged the status quo, but for the most part, you, you want—I I would imagine—a a, a population that doesn't question and kind of sticks together with the tribe has an evolutionary advantage to um, another another population where there's like no tribal cohesion, even if that cohesion is in the wrong direction. Right. So, but the bad news, by the way, everyone, Gracie is for some reason her phone is not letting her join. Um, oh. Google's. Google's not letting it's giving her the message saying press the button to proceed to the hangout, but the button's grayed out and they won't let her join. So we could we could conspiracy theory this theory this and assume that um Google doesn't want the uh, apostate to speak. Maybe she's on a blacklist, or uh, we can assume that technology's Google's Google's uh, UI is it's like Google and Apple are kind of opposites. I've always thought Apple's really good at UI, but the the underlying algorithms and the stuff underneath it kind of sucks uh and google's really good at the algorithms and the underlying stuff but heaven forbid you have to use a 
a human has to use it. The interface is horrible. So that's what she's dealing with. The the um, so Carrie and I will continue the cult discussion, and we're gonna what we're gonna do is uh, film a discussion with Gracie hopefully later today and we'll just put it up online it just won't be live so awesome. sorry sorry everyone about that that was uh, our fault I'll take the responsibility for not making sure that her technical issues were sorted out before she joined um so apologize for that Carrie let's I know we're I know you're disappointed because Gracie's awesome I really well, wanted to speak to Gracie I was gonna about say they uh it's it's the conspiracy theory they can't have they can't have two SJW apostates on one video channel it's too much <laughs> that's right yes <laughs> It's the critical mass. You're, you're. <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, one of the things that I'm curious about with Gracie is she's been married for 21 years and she has two kids. And the immediate thing that I thought about, which I will ask her when we talk to her, is what does that do to your marriage? I mean, I presumably social justice warriors marry other social justice warriors. You don't, you know, I would never marry a social justice warrior. And so I don't know what happens if you're both kind of in this ideology and suddenly uh, suddenly someone's like, I, you know, I'm, I don't believe in social justice anymore. And actually, she described herself as an ex-liberal, ex-feminist. Like, that's a big, big mm -hmm. change. Um, you weren't you you didn't you weren't in a relationship during your change, were you? My change coincided with leaving my marriage. So, and, and it, it wasn't, wasn't causal. Hmm? It wasn't causal. No, it wasn't causal. I think it's just because I was undergoing a personal transformation anyway. I kind of, my whole sense of self was raised to the ground. And then this is why I said there's no easy answer on how to wake people up out of this cult. Maybe they just need to descend into hell and then <laughs> find yeah. their way out of it. But no, I think because I was, you know, I, I, I was already questioning everything about what I wanted out of life and what, you know, I came, I came to realize that I was, um, there were a lot of things about my life I hadn't been happy about and I didn't even realize it. And not necessarily about my ex-husband. I, you know, I still love my ex-husband. I just, uh, it, it just, the path that I was on was not the path I was supposed to be on. And so as I started to figure out, you know, what I really wanted out of life and just starting with the, bare essential questions at the same time i had started going down that rabbit hole of watching videos of liberals attacking trump supporters and i and i just felt like well everything i thought i knew was wrong you know it's sort of i think i think if you if you're in the middle of some kind of existential crisis it's easier to question things that you may have just accepted as truth for a long time anyway and you know i had always there'd always been things that made me question it's just that you kind of put them in the back of your mind and you don't think about them yeah. like i had seen a lot of sjw's in my circles who had i believed were behaving hypocritically or, or you know or in really sort of uh inappropriate ways and I just always wrote, I would write it off though, because would well, they believe the right things? It doesn't, don't look at their actions. Look at what they're saying. <laughs> right. right. What's their, what's, uh, there's that movie Chicago. I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but there's a, there's a scene in the movie Chicago where um, I forget which one it might've been, it was either Roxy or Velma, one of the, the two main actresses who were jailed for murder or attempted murder or whatever. And um, she walks into the bedroom with her boyfriend or, husband or whatever it was and he's in bed with with someone else at least one it might have been two people but it was at least one other person and i think there's a line in there where he says uh 
come on, baby, you're going to believe what I tell you or you're going to believe what you see <laughs> or something like that. It's like, <laughs> oh. that's, that's exactly what I felt like. I mean, it's, it's funny for me to realize it now, but yeah, I would see people just being horrible, like behaving like asses and treating people <laughs> with such just, you know, just disdain. And, and then, and then, but I was like, but they're on, we're on the right side of history. <laughs> right. The ends justify the means. Yeah, the assholes are going to be are winning. We're on the right side. Right. Um, so look, you and I can let's you and I can go through these cult things. Uh, you know, you're no slouch on the SJW SJW cult front, uh, or at least understanding SJW cult. So let's go to number three. So we had number one, check absolute authoritarianism without meaningful accountability. We decided yes, social justice culture is that. Number two, no tolerance or for questions or critical inquiry. I, that's tautological almost, but yet we, <laughs> we talked yeah. about that. So they, they get that one. The next one is, and this might not be totally related, but I want to talk about it anyway. It says no meaningful, because remember this, this list is for groups, no mm -hmm. meaningful financial disclosure regarding budget expenses, such as independently audited financial statements. And I know we, you know, social justice isn't a club that we can look at, but actually I think the, the principle underlying this is, mm -hmm. Um, kind of what you were just saying. There's bad behavior that um, is they're not they're not transparent about their uh, behavior, and so you can't really hold them accountable. So, if no. we use finances as a, as a metaphor, you're paying money in, and they're not really telling you exactly what they're doing with it, or they're being uh, obtuse about it because they don't want you to know what what they're doing is actually in violation probably of what they say. And I think the same is probably true for um, emotional energy and effort and and things you put into relationships with social justice uh groups and is that they're they're exploiting them or they are treating you like an asshole or the, the stuff that you just said they're they're not actually living up to the the ideals they profess what do you think i i agree and they're actually there's been a thing because i used to work with a lot of different what i would call classifies SJW nonprofits, even though I worked in entertainment, I, as I said, I really, my goal in working in comedy was to push the SJW ideology through comedy or through entertainment. Cause I was a true believer. And so I was really good at partnering the comedians I worked with, with different SJW organizations. So you have the organization promoting the comedian or the musician or who, whatever entertainer you're working with. And, and all of entertainment's really good at doing this. I, you know, I, I was on the board of a couple different groups, but you know, then you have the entertainer promoting the organization and it's just like this, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of thing. Um, and the, and so I worked with a lot of nonprofits and I worked with people who still work in a lot of these nonprofits and there's this, you know, they used to call it the nonprofit industrial complex because people are making big money at a lot of these places. And it's not really going to, I don't believe it's going in, in many cases towards what they say it's going towards. It's going towards salaries. Um, and then, and then aside from the nonprofits themselves, you know, look at how much people are being paid at colleges to work in these really Orwellian sounding departments of anti-bias and inclusion and gender diversity. You know, I, I was just reading about here in Austin at UT, I think the, the, Office of D Gender Inclusion and Diversity and Bias, what anti-bias, I think it's like 90 people deep. H yeah. How many people do you need to fight bias? Yeah, and no it, wonder it, school's so expensive because you're, you're, you're just bilking these kids to pay for these BS jobs. It makes me actually very angry. I know someone who um, 
who in that nonprofit world I used to work with, who's like the director of, I, okay, I don't want to be too specific because I don't want to, okay, but the director of an LGBT outreach at a really elite medical school. And this person's probably making six figures to indoctrinate medical students about how biological sex is a social construct. <laughs> and not just okay, at that. Okay, so school. thanks for going to medical school. Now forget all that. Right. Uh, it's a social construct. And, um, oh, but if you treat it like a social construct while you're treating patients, you'll be sued for malpractice. But uh, but outside of the operating room, you better fucking agree that it's a social construct. Right. So they get paid lots of money to, to indoctrinate people. So th that's one part of the financial thing. And the other thing I was thinking about, just when you said no meaningful disclosure or what have you, there was also, I mean, you can pick anecdotal cases, but I know there was one that... Um, it was at uh, in Black Lives Matter Toronto, I believe, one of the founders who, who's caught up in some lawsuit of embezzling funds from the university she was at. You know, the, I, I really do believe that there are a lot of people in, so they're the people who I keep sort of defending and, and absolutely are in it with good intent. But I think a lot of the ones at the top, they know what they're doing. <laughs> they're using the ideology for power for money, for, for, you know, their own the spoils for themselves. And I think even if you're not aware of it consciously, um, yes, sorry. Someone's asking, has Gracie given up on joining? She has, unfortunately, just to get everyone up to speed, there are technical issues, but we're going to record with her later offline and, and post it. So, uh, we will do that, but we're going through the cult, the, we're going through the uh, making of a cult anyway. So we're on number three. And the conclusion here is that, uh, they've met all the criteria so far of a cult. So sorry. Um, I lost my train of thought. Did you ask me something or are we moving to the next one, Carrie? Uh, let's move to the next one. All right. So number four, uh, unreasonable fear about the outside world, such as impending catastrophe, evil conspiracies, and persecutions. <laughs> I mean. Yes. To me, that's very obvious, but maybe we should go through it a little bit. Well, actually, Gracie, when we talk with her later, I know she'll have a lot to say about this. Uh, they, okay. you know, they absolutely instill this fear in people of the outside world. And they, they make, I mean, there are people in my SJW echo chamber who actually believed that, at, you know, when Trump was elected, that he was going to start putting people like, you know, rounding up gay people and people of color and putting them in, in, in women and put, putting us in, you know, internment camps or something like they really believe this when literally Hitler, they believe literally Hitler. Yeah. Which, well, and, it, and even the kind of institutionalized um, racism that they believe exists and the institutionalized misogyny they believe exists. It's um, it's. I, I think it takes a certain level of uh, well, I think it takes a clinically problematic level of paranoia to think that, you know, the white people get up in the morning and look in the mirror and like, okay, how can I screw over the non-white people today? <laughs> Let me call my white buddies. We're going to make sure that black guy doesn't get a job. I mean, you know, it's, it's a, it's a weird, it's a really, it would be laughable if it wasn't such a powerful movement and it will be laughable if white people did it. Right. If, if I got up and I was like, I'm pretty sure, you know, the gangsters in Oakland are conspiring against me. <laughs> People would think I was fucking ridiculous and I'd, I'd, and they'd probably try and put me on medication. Um, people are living their lives, right? Mm -hmm. 
if if I was like, oh, if I went around saying like, oh, every black person is a member of some gang who's secretly trying to conspire against me, at first I'd be called a racist, and second mm -hmm. I would be called insane. Mm -hmm. um, but the that the reverse seems to be just kind of well, accepted as as a fact. But also, they, I mean, they they're good at scaring people, so it, it's no wonder to me that people believe a lot of these things because the media is complicit. I mean, just what you were talking about on point in related to point one with Ben Shapiro and all the warnings and the language they were using, it sounded like a tornado was coming to campus. They do that. They, when, when Christina Hoff Summers went to speak at, I, I forget which school it was, but uh, she, she talked about it. This particular school she was speaking at, they put out the same kind of warnings. Like if you need counseling after Christina Hoff Summers, there's going to be a room with comfort dogs in it that you can go and hang out with these dogs because, you know, just if you're feeling unsafe, if you're feeling harm, they use these words of safe, un unsafe, harm, violence. Um, they try and instill this fear in you. And, and it's like everything is out to get you, but we can protect you like this. Try, you, and that's definitely a cult thing. It's like you're not safe on your own. The whole world is out to get you because of X, Y, Z, you know, because yeah. of your, your gender or your sex, your, you know, your race. Um, and they're really good at it. I mean, look at the narrative of, look at the narrative of, uh, uh, police shootings of unarmed black men. Now, if you look at the stats, which I didn't believe this cause I believed the narrative for so long, but sure. when I looked at the stats, I mean, there was a Harvard study done that found the same results as some previous studies and, and what's interesting about it is the researcher there, he, di he didn't expect to find this. He went out to, find, to prove the other thing. But he found that, you know, you're statistically more likely to be met with lethal force uh, from police officers if you're white. Now, overall, you're statistically more likely to met, be met with force in general if you're black. Like there's those two things are very different, but they're very interesting. And why, you know, there's this, it's a multivariate answer you know it's that there's no one reason for that but right. the fact that they like to reduce it to this just this simple narrative of there's an all-out war on black people by the police um and they whip people up into this frenzy so i had a friend who i love very much who when um you know there was that tragic crazy shooting that happened here in texas the uh, white female police officer went into the apartment either below or above hers and killed Yeah, the apartment above and she killed the the black gentleman that lived there i think yes and so uh when i first heard that i was like is she on drugs or is she drunk like what is there some personal connection we don't know about like what how could that even happen but i didn't immediately think oh she he was black and so she killed him because he's black are you kidding me right that doesn't well, make I any sense it was like a neighbor grudge <laughs> or she was high or on something or right. what Right, yeah. right. And so, but I, le I legit had, oh, and then this is a reason why, one of the reasons why I could not vote Beto was he, the media and, and people like politicians, they whip people into a terrified frenzy with stuff like that. He immediately went to the race issue on that shooting without knowing any facts. And so I had to get back to the, I had a friend who I love very much who legitimately was scared. She posted about that shooting and she was like, you know, this is giving me so much anxiety and fear. They really want to kill us. They want to kill us. And I, and they meaning white people. And I was like, this is not like, why, why are, why is the media and why are politicians, careless politicians, um, 
they are dependent upon making people terrified and dependent upon making them believe a narrative that's not actually true. You know, right. and in that fact, shooting black on black violence is a much bigger problem. Most black people that are murdered are murdered by other black people. Um, but they don't want a, you to talk about that because that kind of fear doesn't work in their favor. Um, right. But but this is just like that shooting, that murder, that that death is tragic enough. There's no reason to. Uh, politicize it in that way and cheapen it and and immediately jump to something that there's no evidence for um and 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 you know anyway that so yes they they rely on fear and because of that fear it's like you know i've seen people who who have moved from the democratic party to the republican party um talk about it in this way they're like they want to keep you afraid so that you keep voting for them it's like be yeah, terrified absolutely yeah yeah, you're totally right about that. And, you know, the thing is, look, I mean, if it turned out that she was, you know, we uncovered a lot of uh, racist writing in this cop's house, mm -hmm. or she was like, it turns out she was after black people. And and then I would jump on the, she's a horrible racist bandwagon. But I wouldn't Absolutely. jump on the all cops are horrible racist bandwagon because people are individuals. And you can see this narrative, the favorite, you know, I don't want to say it's favorite because it always involves someone getting shot, which is horrible. But the, the, the way that you can see it is often someone will be shot and the media and the left will jump on this narrative of uh, white police. It's racism. Right. And then the details leak out. This happens once in a while. The details leak out and it's like, oh, the, the cop wasn't white. It was, he was he was also black or <laughs> he was he was Hispanic. And so they just kind of shut up. They like oh, wait, remove that story from the media. We can't talk about that one anymore because it doesn't no, work. Carter, you know what they say actually in the SJW world? What? They they double down. They say it doesn't matter that the cop was also black. They say that you you can be a black person and be white supremacist. Like this is how abs like just absurd their ideology is. They say like well as a woman they say I can be a misogynist. Um, you know they called. Uh, I saw an article that called they called Charles Barkley a white supremacist because he doesn't but I don't I because of some comments he had made that didn't fall in line with SJW ideology like they don't care they will call you a black white supremacist wow. and that's no longer a Dave Chappelle sketch that's like wow. what <laughs> it does sound like a Dave Chappelle oh it was a Dave Chappelle it was sketch. a Dave Chappelle sketch yeah <laughs> um okay so no, that was four out of the ten they, they met all those four so far um by the way, to answer you, juiced on juiced on um, used. I'm not sure how to pronounce your name. Sorry. Uh, maybe I'll go with used. Uh, he asked if you lost a lot of friends after taking the red pill, and uh, I don't want to answer for you, but yes, she did, Carrie. <laughs> I lost a lot of friends. I'll put in air quotes, and a lot of acquaintances. But uh, I and I and I and I lost a couple of people people who I would, I really, I really did think were good friends. Um, but I gained a lot of real friends I, and, and some of my pre-existing or friends I had before I started changing my beliefs became better friends. You know, you find out who the real friends are. That's something Brandon Tatum said on that interview we did. And I was like, that's perfect. That's exactly what it is. You find out who your real friends are and you make better friends that are built on something much more lasting and important than just political belief systems. I, what I like to think of it as now is like a lot of the professional SJWs I was friends with, the people who make a living from SJW ideology, the people like I'm talking about who are part of the nonprofit industrial complex or who are working in academia, making a ton of cash on, on spreading this ideology. Um, 
the professional SJWs don't really have friends, they have allies. It's built on this shared being a part of the cult. And if you leave the cult, you're not a friend. So yeah, yeah. I lost some allies. Yeah, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Okay, so so they've uh, got, so they're scoring 100% on cults so far, uh, cultism so far. So number five, there's low, no legitimate reason to leave. Former followers are always wrong in leaving, negative or even evil. As a former follower, Carrie, is there a legitimate reason to leave social justice? They absolutely say there's no legitimate reason to leave. Um, they do, the, you know, we joke about Gracie and I being apostates or, um, you know, that's actually how we are treated by the ones who are the most hardcore. Um, they also, I don't know if they purposefully misinterpret what I'm saying now or if, or if it's just that they are so blinded that they can't actually hear what I'm saying, but they will, they will call me things I'm not. My former friends, they um, will say things like, you know, I know this doesn't jive with your new alt-right, you know, far-right beliefs. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't hold any alt-right. I know you're beliefs. a racist now, so you yeah. don't like this thing about to say, but. <laughs> yeah. Or like uh, one of them was like, I know this doesn't jive with your new, you know, white nationalist, whatever. I was like, what do you even mean? Like, I don't hold any of those beliefs. If, if you want to talk about what I actually believe, great. Let's have a conversation in good faith now that you and I disagree on some things. But like I said, going back to number two, they don't, no, no tolerance for questions. They don't want to discuss with you in good faith. They don't want to have, so, so yes, they, um, they say that, that there's no legit reason to leave. And if a person leaves, it's because they, yes, we're secretly harboring all these different sexist and racist beliefs or something and that, right. that they've finally come out. And so I was called, I was yeah. called a, um, I don't even use the term red pilled about myself, but I understand why people do. There's a lot of different ways that the term red pilled is used, but yeah. So one of these former friends said, uh, public publicly about me that I was a former feminist, something about like former feminist friend turned far right, uh, red pilled troll. <laughs> oh yeah. Trolls. And is an interesting one because, um, uh, it's uh, it's an attempt to it, it it assumes that you're not being serious about what you're saying. Yeah. Right. To be like, oh, you're just you're a troll. It's like, no, no, I'm I made a statement or I made an argument or I made a point or I had an opinion. That that doesn't make me a troll. And uh, I know there are trolls on the right, but um, right. Of course, of course, not being on the left, uh, I don't get a lot of trolling from people on the right, but I I do see a lot on the left as well. There's a hell of a lot of trolls. So there's a lot of trolls. Well, and also there's a difference between you can tell when someone's trying to engage with you in good faith and when they're trolling. I mean, right. it's not that I don't troll. Sometimes I do. It's quite fun. Sure, but yeah. <laughs> but it's very obvious when I, like trolling is my Halloween costume. You know, that was like that was for laughs. That's funny. But if I'm coming to you and saying I don't understand why you believe that, can you explain it? That's not trolling. That's trying to understand you better or trying to help you understand me better and yeah. they don't have, they don't see degrees of nuance like that at all. Well, I think to them, so, I mean, I haven't really thought about what the, the essence of trolling is, but I guess the essence is just trying to um, waste your time without really legitimately engaging in some way or to divert your attention. And um, I think because if, you know, if you honestly believe that there's no legitimate reason why anyone would disagree with you, then anything that they say that might suggest 
that they're not sure about your beliefs is trolling because it's a distraction from uh, the Bible of social justice, which no one mm -hmm. can question. Right. So. They view it all as trolling. And also, if you guys don't know it yet, look up sea lioning. Sea lion. Yeah, they call you a sea lion if you if you say if you ask questions. Basically, if you ask questions, they call you a sea lion. Yeah, it's so according to Wikipedia, sea lioning is a sea lioning is a type of trolling or harassment, which consists of pursuing people with persistent requests for evidence or repeated questions, <laughs> while maintaining a pretense of civility. <laughs> See, that's why they call me a sea lion because I actually am like, why can't we disagree in a civil way? You friggin' sea lion, you always you want to have civil discussions. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, is, wait, is being a sea lion an insult? <laughs> I don't know. Um, all right. So number five, I think they meet that one. Number six, former members often relate to the same stories of abuse and reflect a similar pattern of grievances. I don't know a lot of former members, but I know a few. <laughs> you probably know more. Um, do you guys all feel similarly, like similar grievances uh, or I'll say emotional abuse? I, I assume you weren't physically <laughs> abused by social justice warriors. Um. I, that's exactly why I was so excited to talk to Gracie today, because yes, there's this immediate kindred spirit kind of kinship thing of we were in the same cult and we both left and let's compare stories. And there's so much overlap and there's so much overlap in why we stayed. And then also in how we kind of woke up and what the transition was like in leaving and repercussions of leaving. But um, and but the other thing I would say that we share is that none of us, nobody that I've met so far who've left who've left the cult of SJW regrets it. Like nobody regrets it. It's just so much better on the other side. I don't care. You can name calling, whatever reason you're afraid of, like name calling or losing so-called friends. Um, a lot of those fears that are holding you back from from just starting to speak your own opinions or come up you know, think things through and, and, and come up with your own, um, arguments and stuff. It's, it's not worth it. Once you leave, you're like, Oh, none of that was worth it. That fear was, yeah, it's just like being in a cult. You're afraid to yeah. leave, but once you do, it turns out, uh, yeah. you know, the leader bean wasn't as exciting as you thought it was. Right. So, um, <laughs> that was a Simpsons reference for anyone. I didn't get it. Um, <laughs> a long time ago, Homer, uh, th th there was one of the episodes Homer was in a cult and, uh, they were feeding beans in the cafeteria and he put on his windowsill when he found beans that he thought looked like the leader, he would call them leader beans and he would put them on his windowsill to worship them. So, all right. <laughs> um, all right. So they meet that one. Number seven, there are records, books, news articles, or television programs that document the abuses of the group. That's a weird one. Um, Cause I guess it, it, it implies that the media is not part of the group. <laughs> um, this one, I think, remains to be seen because yeah. the media is part of the group. The media does support the ideology. and But now you're starting to see people leaving it who are writing about it. Gracie and I are writing about a lot of the same things. And yeah. you're, you're seeing people who are starting to try and pull it apart and explain even this podcast that we're doing, Carter, each week we're trying to pull apart what is this ideology. So I think you're just starting to see people dissect it. Right. We're no CNN, but we are documenting it in some way. Yeah. Right. With laughs. Um, we're no CNN in, in both a good and bad way. Yeah. So 
Uh, all right. So number seven, well, maybe like a half a point for that. I don't know if that's like a partially we don't know may, remain to be seen kind of. Um, number eight, followers feel they can never be good enough. And the good enough is in quotes. Good enough. Can you talk about that for a minute? Does that uh, resonate with you at all? Yes. Not with me specifically, but I've seen it. There's this particular type of SJW. It's usually white women um, who just do a lot of hand wringing. And uh, I, I may have talked about this before, but there's a group that I'm in on, on Facebook where there's a lot of white women in there who are constantly like, I don't know why I can't make any friends with women of color. I try so hard and I'm just, am I doing the right things as an ally? And uh, it's like, wow, because you're treating, <laughs> it's because you're treating any potential new friend as a potential friend of women of color. Like you're just, you're not looking at them as a person. You're immediately looking at them as a box you can check off. And um, it's because your ideology has, twisted your brain into thinking that the best way to fight racism is to become a racist who looks at everybody as what race and gender they are. Um, and so that type of person, yes, I, I, they're constantly, it's like they're constantly whipping themselves and you'll see them It's when they, when they speak. And there's some male feminists like that too, actually, some white male feminists like that who are just like bowing and scraping all the time about their privilege and, you know, um, and and who will give up their voice because that's what they're told to do in the ideology is to be quiet and let someone else speak and they completely surrender their personhood in a way and i just find it's it's sad but i also now when i see it i find it kind of revolting i'm like you're you're putting yourself in this subservient position and and it's i don't know it's sad. it's sad yeah well i mean i think um just from the outside i'll say one way that I that that I see this from the outside is if you can if you can bring up any instance to, uh, of oh, how do I want to say this if you can come up with any way a new way where someone might be oppressive because of their privilege in some way or another they will accept it there's never I never hear anyone um I've never heard anyone like go up to a a social justice white woman and say, actually, your 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 white privilege also is a problem because of X, Y, and Z, and have that white person push back and say, well, no, 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 that's not, I'm not, I shouldn't be guilty about that. Like any any proposed guilt is accepted. Mm -hmm. Oh um, yeah, they they will absolutely. And then they uh, uh, there are the types who go and preach it a lot to other people that we've mentioned before, like the virtue signalers, and that's how they feel better. Because what was this is. They can never be good enough. So part of the way they feel good enough is by going out and proselytizing and becoming, they preach it to other women or to other white people or to other men, you know, who, whatever groups they're in. Right. Um, but then they're the ones. Go ahead. Sorry. But then they're the ones like you're saying who it's, I don't, maybe they don't even so much preach it. They just accept all of this stuff that's put on them and, and they're constantly, um, they think the way to, the to end isms is to become a, a doormat or something. And uh, I don't, I, I think that, you know, we've talked a lot about how SJWism or SJW ideology um, takes advantage of any pre-existing mental health issues that people might have. And I think that's another place where maybe you've got someone who in, in their life or in their personal life is used to being the person that's walked all over. It's easier to manipulate that person and, um, 
and get them to do your bidding, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I would say that from, again, from the outside, I, I don't think social justice culture could perpetuate and, and could exist if followers stopped feeling like they weren't good enough. I think mm -hmm. as soon as someone feels like they're good enough, uh, they're no longer a social justice warrior. Yeah. Because as soon as you feel like you're good enough, you stop accepting unearned guilt. And as soon as that happens, you're done. Uh, you're an apostate. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I, I would almost argue that in terms of social, from my perspective, in terms of social justice, uh, it's a requirement that you feel not good enough. Well, except for the ones with ill intent. So everybody should go and look up, look up this woman, Ashley Shackelford, if you haven't heard of her before. Um, there are people in the movement with bad intent, the bad actors, the ones who know what they're doing. And, you know, those people, they're the ones who manipulate the, the, the people who are in it for good intent, who maybe feel like they can't be good enough or, or what have you. But I mean, I think she's a great example of someone who's a bad actor. You know, she runs seminars and charges money to yell at uh, white women and tell them how they're uh, evil. And what's the word she uses? Uh, de well, demonic. She uses. Yeah. <laughs> if you want. This is her. She's, so I want to. I feel bad saying this, but this is her. These are her words on her website. Ashley Shackelford is a queer, non binary, black, fat, femme cultural producer, data futurist, and multidisciplinary visual artist. In her commitment to creating and imagining new futures, Ashley is the creator and director of Free Figure Revolution, a Southern body liberation organization that centers decolonizing anti blackness and fat phobia. Additionally, her work of data futurism, uh, in her work of data futurism, she has created both the Fat Census and the Queer Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault Survey to create more evidence-based data within marginalized communities. So that's not that's not as bad as I thought it was. I, I thought she was going to start saying some crazy stuff. I mean, it's crazy, but less crazy well, than I thought. She has said, I'm trying to remember her exact word. And one of the, you can watch on YouTube one of her um, conferences, but she, you know, she says that. Uh, uh, it's something like white white people are evil, that like they demonic or or something. Well, even Don Lemon like didn't he recently say uh, white people are the problem? So. Well, he said the problem. I think I think that's different than even saying you know there's something demonic about you. Um, but she, uh, what, what's funny about what you just read to me, her bio is it takes me back to what you and I were talking about, which is everything about this this SJW ideology is about identity. Like I've also heard them referred to as the identitarian left. And so it's all about what groups you're in and the more marginalized groups that you're in, the better. So all those things that this person's listing, what are they? They're all considered marginalized groups, you know, queer, yeah. woman, black, fat, LGBT, you know, like you, and there, and then like the mental illness part that becomes a part of the identity too. So there was this Twitter user that, um, that you found after we had that conversation who their whole identity was like, you know, yeah, I found them right here. Oh, yeah. read it, read it. Yeah, it's uh, I, I'll skip the beginning because there's okay. um some personally identifiable information. But um, SCA, I don't know what SCA is. Uh, disabled, B of LGBTQ, chronic pain and spine disorders, CFS slash fibromyalgia, uh, diabetic, and then crochet, which I guess is is. A, <laughs> <laughs> Well, crochet is marginalized. We, we prefer knitting. Knitting is what's privileged. Yeah. But th I mean, that that is, uh, I don't even know what to say about that as your your profile. Like, that's that's how you identify. So weird. Okay. Um, 
we're we're running late on time, so okay. I want, but I want to get okay. to the last two. So I so we're we're saying yes on number eight. Followers feel they cannot be or they can never be good enough. Number nine is the group is always right. I mean, I think that's a also kind of demonstrably true here. But do you that's have any, anything to add on that one? I mean, that's a given. It's groupthink. Everything they they do, it's a collectivist ideology. It's not about individualism. So the group is always right. It's that you don't you have no individual opinion. It's all shaped by what groups you're in. Right, right. Um, and uh, and the last one is related. I don't know if you know how these two are separate. Uh, so the last one is the group is the exclusive means of knowing truth in quotes, or receiving validation, no other process of discovery is really acceptable or credible. And this gets back to the term that I used a while ago um, that Ayn Rand, I think, coined called a social metaphysician, where your what's true about the world is what your quick survey of the group that you care about says is true about the world, not, um, not what's necessarily observable or you determine independently is true. What do you think about those two? Kind of do nine and ten together. What do you think about? I mean, we did nine, but like, yeah. is that the is that is the only math method for uncovering truth, or, or are there other processes of, of discovery that matter to the social justice culture? No, it's it's group consensus and well, and personal experience. If you check off the more marginalized boxes that you check off, uh, and Gracie I think talks about this a bit, you're almost like a. The, you're considered more priestly you're you have more authority within the ideology so uh, you hear a lot of things about you know it's built it's based on postmodernism this ideology so there is no they don't believe in the concept of truth they don't believe in objectivity they don't believe in logic that any 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 means by which you use to come to a consensus is considered they, they write it off as a tool of the patriarchy a tool that's used to oppressed oppress so logic reason even science and you see them attacking the hard sciences now you know this whole idea of biological sex being a social construct um yep. so yeah there there is no absolute truth it's all your ex you know what you experience is truth that's why you hear them saying stuff about like speak your truth speak my truth and that's another way they shut up discussion by the way from earlier if you if you disagree with them they'll say how dare you how dare you challenge my truth like I'm not. I'm challenging your opinion. Right. <laughs> like, right. So, um, so I think we've got ten out of ten here, right? We've got uh, all ten. I mean, there was one we thought kind of, sort of, uh, because the then that was number seven, which is there are records, books, news articles, or television programs that document the abuses of the group, and we're saying, and the media is part of it, so uh, part of the group, so it's hard. But there's some, and so I think they get. I would give them at least an A plus, if not a hundred percent, on the. Uh, I'm shocked. Cult. What do you think? Yeah, I, I haven't read through this list before. This was really fun. I would love to do it again with Gracie and hear her answers because I know she's got a lot to say. But um, I assumed that it would not be 100% because I guess I was just thinking usually in cults, there's a, a, there's a charismatic leader. and uh, But that's not always the case. In an SJW cult, there is no charismatic leader. And that's I think that, sure. yeah, and and there's no concept of God. And those things are different. That's also, but but not every, as Gracie will have a lot to say about that, because not every religion believes in a, a concept of one God. So, um, well, there's another list below this, which maybe we can talk through with Gracie, because I also find this list fascinating. It's it's 10 warning signs regarding people involved in a potentially group. 
And the one that stuck out to me, you know, that jutted out right away um, was dramatic loss of spontaneity and sense of humor, which I feel like uh, you can talk about all day being part of the, <laughs> the comedy circuit. <laughs> Uh, they absolutely. have no sense of humor. They have no sense of humor. You yeah. know, I said something, what did I say recently? And I got in trouble for it. And it was like, it's kind of a joke, dudes. Oh, it was hear me out. What if we, what if we pay the caravan to build the wall? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, that's, you can't, that's not funny, Carrie. You can't joke about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, um, thank you, Carrie. As a reminder to everyone else, we will, um, we will be, Hopefully later today or tomorrow, we'll be talking with Gracie. We'll just do it offline and we'll post post the video on here so we don't have any live problems with Gracie. And we'll go through similar, but we may go through these these warning signs and we'll talk uh, talk with her about social justice as a cult. But uh, I enjoyed discussion, Carrie, as always with you. So uh, I'm not sure what we're doing next Thursday because it is Thanksgiving, but I think Carrie, you and I should probably at the very least film something offline and play it on Thursday. So we'll do that. You know what would be least. funny? So SJWs what? every Thanksgiving they write all these op-eds about how to go home with your um, Trump voting relatives, white people, and to confront them about their white supremacy. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about how to go home with SJWs and confront them. Oh yeah, we could do that. We could do what that. What were you thinking? No, I just, I kind of wanted to talk about that idea because I just think it's so funny. I mean, my grandfather passed away this year and, you know, my grandfather worked until his whole life, right up until like 98, like a few years ago at 95, he was up on the roof with a chainsaw, like cutting down tree branches. <laughs> like he would not stop. He's, you know, greatest generation. He was in, fought in World War II, like and I don't actually know if he voted for Trump. My grandfather was surprising. Sometimes he would vote Democrat. I believe he voted for Obama. Um, knowing him, he may have been one of those people who switched. But regardless, I just was thinking, like, can you imagine the arrogance? And yes, I can, because I used to be one of these arrogant SJWs of, like, going home for Thanksgiving and sitting around the table of this person who's worked harder than you'll ever work in your life and saying, you know, like, you know, hey, P. Paul, pass the potatoes and let's talk about why you're a racist. Like, it's just so, yeah. Yeah. it's so insulting. I know you watched your friends die while fighting Nazism, but right. you're a Nazi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you're, it's like Lena Dunham said something like that. Oh my gosh, on Twitter, she said, you know, something like straight white men will never know what it's like to fight for your very lives. Or, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, how many women were drafted? <laughs> Never mind. Um, oh, well, real quick, can I say something? If you're in the Austin area, uh, we're having our our next civility dinner this Saturday. So, and we finally have a website, yay! So you can go to civility dinners. Hmm? Tell tell everyone the website, Twitter. Tell everyone about okay. civility dinners because it's awesome. Um, yeah, we get together. We have been doing this for over a year um, since the election. It's just um, we get a bunch of people together who have different opinions on politics, religion, what have you. And we have dinner and we usually do it in, in people's homes. And um, it's a lot of fun because you can have some really interesting discussions, but everybody's coming with in good faith. You know, everybody's coming to knowing that there are going to be people there who disagree with them. And um, so this one's going to be held at a restaurant because we're expecting a lot of new people and new people are welcome. If you're anywhere in the Austin area, please come um, and you can get more info at civilitydinners.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, Carrie. 
thank everyone. Uh, thank you everyone for for watching. You can follow us at Unsafe Show on Twitter and uh, unsafeshow.com. We're Unsafe Space on Patreon. And there's some Facebook pages, Unsafe Space and Deprogrammed, which is the name of this show. Both have Facebook pages now. We're not super active on them yet because we just created them, but we will be more active. And I guess we will, like I said, we will get Gracie West on and we'll post that video pretty uh, pretty quickly here for, for everyone. So have a good uh, have a good day, everyone. And thanks again for joining. Thanks, Carter.